she has uh, some ideas about the role of paganism to positively affect climate change and, uh, of course, why misogyny is uh, the root of all evil. You know, she won't get any um, detractors here, I don't think. Um, so we're going to cover a wide spectrum in this conversation, including being bisexual in the pagan community, uh, roots of Christian holidays, uh, if Republicans can be a witch, <laughs> uh, why Wicca is so popular among feminists. Uh, so we have a lot to talk about. Uh, let's hope we can get to it all in an hour. Uh, so welcome, Kara Dwin, uh, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. I'm very, very happy to be here. Well, I have to say, um, I don't always uh, get to, uh, you know, pick up my guest book uh, and read, uh, but I have started yours, and uh, I love the format because it's short snippets, they're standalone, uh, you can pick it up and read it, and, uh, you know, it. it, it you know, each one individually, um, you know, is independent, and uh, uh, I really like that. You know, you don't have to follow the flow, uh, so to speak, and, uh, you know, sometimes when we, you know, don't have hours to devote to a book, um, you know, I've found that uh, whenever I pick up your book and read one of the chapters, uh, I, you either leave me scratching my head uh, or shaking my head up and down, yes, or smiling. Uh, I, I really have enjoyed your, your book. I haven't finished it yet, but uh, I've, I've loved everything I've read so far. Well, thank you so much, Karen. I'm really glad you're enjoying it. Yes, it's, a, it's sort of a book of teaching stories. So, like you say, they're standalone stories. Uh, they're all from, you know, various episodes in my life with a couple thrown in from people that I know well and their stories as well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm hoping that that will be inspirational and comforting uh, to other people. I, I, I think so. Uh, you know, I would encourage listeners to, uh, you know, if, if they're looking for something different, uh, I think this really is uh, unique. So um, let's just start at the beginning. How did um, how did you, who grew up in a conservative agnostic Republican household uh, end up, uh, I, I assume, uh, a feminist witch? Yes, well, it does seem like a bit of a swerve. Uh, but uh, but in some ways, um, I could, I, I could, uh, the apple did not fall as far from the tree as one might think. Because, again, my household growing up was agnostic, um, which was lucky for me that I wasn't... Um, you know, say a very conservative <laughs> Christian household, and and one of the things that my family did all the time when I was growing up was we went camping. We went on these long, long camping trips, and sometimes five or six weeks, my father would actually be able to take off, and we'd just you know, go as far as we could in three weeks and turn around. And so I remember my father many times, you know, being out in the woods and saying, "Why would anyone go to a church when then we could go to the woods?" I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> I relate to that. And uh, at one point, uh, when we moved to upstate New York, um, all the kids in the high school were asking, oh, what, what church does your family go to? And I was like, what church? What kind of high school kids care about church? <laughs> I was just like, mystified. <laughs> I went home and complained about it. And uh, my father said, well, tell them we're pagans, honey. Tell them we worship the trees. <laughs> so... Uh, so there was a certain pagan sensibility in, uh, in my growing up household. Um, 
that uh, that was perhaps not too too usual um, for that time. The other pieces, I always had um, past life memories starting from when I was very very young, and I didn't know they were past life memories. I thought it was all part of the same thing, you know. But, but these memories kept kicking up, and I also uh, was very very psychic, and so these were things that I could, you know, that you know, the empirical playpen wasn't quite explaining to me uh, how I could know the future. That didn't, that didn't make any sense um, by everything that I knew. And so there was that questing part of my mind that was like, yeah, there's some stuff here that nobody seems to get. And I want to know more about that. Interesting, interesting. Um, myself, I'm a recovering Catholic from the Bible Belt, and I feel like I've definitely made a, a, you know some crooked turns along the way. Uh, thank goodness. Uh, and I, I get what you mean. You know, well, we didn't come from a fundamentalist household either, and uh, you know, religion never really got its hooks in me. So I was free to, um, you know, kind of make my own choices. Uh, but, but I love that your dad said, uh, uh, tell, tell your friends you go out and you worship the trees. Um, uh, and, and his ideas about, you know, why would anybody go to church when they can, you know, uh, worship the trees? I mean, I think that now, you know, with all of these people complaining that the, uh, the churches uh, haven't opened quick enough or um, – uh, you know, I, you know, when when you're a pagan, you know, you don't need a priest, uh, and and uh, I don't know, maybe they they're just really going for the socializing, you know, for the, uh, you know, the the feeling of community. But you know, if you have a connection with God, goddess, um, you know, a, a priest is really irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Yes, but I think that you've kind of hit on something there, um, Karen, where. I, I, there's one of the stories, I don't know if you've gotten to it in my in my book, talks about a pagan friend of mine who went through quite a born-again um, period. And during that time, he would pick up hitchhikers and kind of harangue them about how they should come to Jesus. And sometimes he would argue with him, and sometimes they would agree. Um, but uh, at one point, he picked up uh, an older guy, and as they were driving along, he gave him his spiel about Jesus. And, and the older guy just kind of nodded and said, yeah. It's a nice trip if you can believe it. And right then, <laughs> my friend realized he didn't actually believe it. And that the reason he was fighting so hard was to try and persuade himself. So so I think, yes, there's the socializing, but also I think for many of these people, they aren't really anchored in a true sense of connection. And they need people around them who are all saying the same thing and praying the same way to feel that what they're doing is is true and right. Maybe so. Um, you know, I, I had a guest on the show uh, quite a while ago. I, I wish I could remember his name, but you're, you're reminding me of something he said. Uh, he wrote an interesting article about um, religion and America and uh, why Americans are so willing to believe so much of what they believe. And uh, he, he felt like um, people have been primed uh, from 
the cradle, so to speak, you know, uh, in magical, fantastical thinking, you know, like virgin births and, you know, uh, Jesus rising from the dead and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, so many of the stories in the Bible that are fantastical. And he felt like that sort of primed them to uh, not uh, be critical thinkers at all. Um, so uh, what you just said, um, I don't know, it feels like it, it's kind of a parallel track uh, because maybe somewhere in back of their mind they have to know the world is uh, older than 6,000 years, you know, um, but they, have, they keep going back to get that fixed to kind of stay on track uh, because to um, go their own way or get off track, you know, maybe that's even – scarier to them, you know, to um, blaze a whole new trail. Yes, I I agree with that um, very much. I I was uh, on a radio show once that had call-in questions, and, uh, you know, I I had said something about, I was talking about the will, you know, I'm saying your will and your gut, like that's how you know what's true, that that's how you hear uh, God speaking to you. And someone called in and said, no, no, you can't believe what you feel. You can never trust your feelings. That's always the devil talking. I was like, oh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> that, you know, that these people have been very much brainwashed into believing that, that they cannot trust anything they actually think or feel because that's the devil. But they can only trust wow. what their preacher says. And, well, that's a great wow. way to disempower people is to tell them that all of your feelings are from the devil. And yeah, it's a very sad thing. And I absolutely agree that, you know, you've got all these people believing in Trump because they've simply, yeah, they, they, they've never developed critical thinking and they have been, you know, trained since birth to trust whoever the authority is and to believe that that person knows far more than they do and can't be questioned. Right. Right. Yeah, and you know, and I find maybe even people like us who have moved beyond uh, trusting all authority figures, you know, we may even fall into the trap. You know, like for instance, when it comes to our doctor, maybe. You know, uh, you know, we we think, uh, you know, maybe for instance, he or she's been to medical school. They certainly know more. You know. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm just saying that you know maybe we also do fall into the trap to to much to a much lesser degree, uh, but even we have to be careful, uh, you know, that we're we're not just blindly following um, somebody that we've you know given authority to as, as well, you know. Yes, I, I've really noticed, um, especially now that I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm very distressed to see how many left-wing people also don't have any capacity for critical thinking. And they simply believe just, you know, whatever reinforces their bias, you know, confirmation bias is something that we all have to pay attention to, that instant decision that, oh, if this is what I already believe, it must be true. And often it's from a very, you know, a very uh, questionable source. And that, you know, that we really all need to develop and to keep working on our critical thinking skills. And many people simply haven't been taught in school how to do that. And if you haven't, boy, I sure, sure advise you 
anyone, not UK, but, uh, but you know, anyone listening who, who may be a little shaky on this call, um, way of thinking, that it is something you learn, and it's something you could look up online and how it works. It's something you could take a class in, but really it's a, it's a terribly important uh, skill to have. And, and being spiritual should not mean that we give up that critical uh, thinking ability, that we should give up, say, a skeptical point of view. This is part of the responsibility of being a spiritual person is to have it make sense in a logical way too. And I'm not well, saying and, and, and that I there think are that, that are good. Well, I, well, I was just going to say I thought that would be a good segue because you believe uh, skeptics make the best witches. Uh, I was going to ask you to speak to that. Yes, because. Again, you know, I grew up in a very skeptical background, so this comes to me very naturally. But I think of witches as being the scientists of the sacred. And that we are looking to establish some sense of reality. And it's an alternative reality, yes, but that it still needs to be somehow grounded in reality. And most witches keep something that's called a book of shadows, which is a magical diary where you keep track of, okay, well, I did this spell, and here was the results, and here's what I'm going to do different next time. We, we think about it a great deal. Um, you know, scientists say that we, maybe as much as 50 or 60% of the brain, we don't know what it's for. Well, witches are very interested in that 50%. <laughs> we really want to know. <laughs> well, what can we do with this, uh, you know, if we stretch into the brain a little more? Uh, what could possibly happen here? And, and so we're, um, we, we are people who are curious, you know, by nature. We're very curious people. And so I think that, that curiosity, again, that's a scientific trait, right? That's how you find things out. You say, huh, how does that work? And then you pursue uh, that line of thinking. Many times we may not get to how it works, but it's always worth trying to figure it out. Right, right. I, I, I totally follow that. Um, well, you know, uh, speaking of spell work, um, or, or I, I mean, I've seen on Facebook too, uh, especially when Trump first got into office, there was a lot out there about, um, you know, people were actually trying to work against Trump. Um, do, you, do you think witches are, are really still hexing Trump, and do you think it's a good idea? Uh, I, obviously, some are, since people are, are posting online that they are. Um, I think hexing is a, a very dubious thing to do, because the thing about magic is it's always going to pass through you first, and the most intense part of it is going to pass through you first, through your body and your psyche. So when you are running a hex, a, uh, a hostile energy well, that's going to be affecting you, too, on the way through. So when people ask me, oh, aren't you ever tempted to hex someone, because I tell people I don't hex, they say, well, aren't you tempted to smash yourself in the face with a hammer? <laughs> well, <laughs> usually can't say no, <laughs> because I basically think of it as uh, being very much that. And, you know, something I noticed back in the, in the Bush-Cheney years was that you know people all over the world were praying for Cheney to die, and he wasn't dying. 
And I thought, well, you know, if you can't knock over a guy with a quadruple bypass <laughs> with your hexes and fingers, what, what can you do? <laughs> and I've kind of formed a little bit of a theory since then that, you know, I think these evil people really thrive on that energy. And it may be that when we hmm. send them that kind of energy, it's actually feeding them. And it's not harming right. them because it's what they live for. Right, so I would right. be very cautious. Well, Although I sympathize, I absolutely sympathize with the desire um, to destroy them in any way possible. I, I, I would advise caution. Well, and, and you make a good point. Um, and uh, you know, let me just say the whole idea of the spell work, I mean, uh, which is, I think, mostly believe, I mean, at least most of the ones I know, that what you put out in the world comes back to you threefold, some believe tenfold. So if you're hexing someone, then that's going to come back to you uh, threefold, you know. Uh, So why would anybody ever send anyone negative energy if you really believe in your own ideology, you know. Uh, but But what you're saying I think is a really good point. It might just be you're giving them energy which they then use to continue to do whatever they do. Um, because, you know, like you said, with Cheney, I mean, if they couldn't affect Cheney's health, uh, you know, how, how powerful was that energy? Likewise, I mean, how many witches have done prosperity spells? And I don't know many rich witches. <laughs> um, so, you know, so there's, uh, you know, there's, there's sort of another example. Um well, uh, well, you know, you said something about uh, you know you being clear, you know, you being psychic and seeing the future. Um, I, I have to ask you: Have you had any uh, premonitions about what's going to happen in November with Trump? Oh boy, I don't know. I'm so, you know, I'm so emotionally um, invested <laughs> that unfortunately, I think that that makes for not a lot of clarity. On my part, I did not see, you know, I mean, yes, I'm more psychic than most, but I'm not omniscient, nor is anyone else. And I did not see his first election coming. I absolutely was blindsided by that, um, probably because I was just using my logic and going, no, no, no nobody with even half a brain could vote for this guy. <laughs> and, of course, I also wasn't expecting that the Russians were going to successfully hack our election and that the Republicans were going to encourage that. I mean, when I was a Republican growing up, I mean, the Russians were the enemy. My my father, who was a, who was a rocket scientist, he would just roll over in his grave if he could see the Republicans making common cause with the Russians. He would just he would lose his mind if he was still alive. I'm glad he did not live to see it. I, I, I simply uh, was dumbfounded. Well, you know, personally, um, I I think, uh, well, I mean, you know, it's all yet to be revealed, and this is all alleged. Uh, but you know, the you know, talk is if uh, Trump's tax returns ever become uh, public. Uh, it's going to be issues of money laundering, maybe with Deutsche Bank or something. And uh, if they've 
it, I don't know. And if uh, the Russians really are, uh, you know, can compromise Trump, uh, who's to say, uh, you know, they haven't compromised some of these other Republicans? I mean, could it? I, I just can't believe it's all about the conservative judges that they're, um, you know, giving lifetime appointments to. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. I just feel like there's got to be more. And, um, you know, they always say follow the money. And I would not be surprised to find out that uh, somehow they're, um, you know, they're they're taking dirty money uh, some kind of a way. I, I don't know. That's just my just my thought from articles I've read. And uh, um, you know, I mean, there's uh, there's no such thing as patriotism anymore. It's all about greed. It seems that way, and yes, I also have read you know articles that, that suggest that you know once the Supreme Court basically okayed a dark money in politics, that yes, most of these Republicans are depending on the Russians for their financial donations, and that that's actually where a huge amount of uh, of their war chests are coming from. So yeah, they're indebted to them at this point. Yeah, and and I mean, the thought that the Supreme Court could be, you know, could have uh, been led so far astray, uh, either. I mean, um, oh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, things just feel like they've gotten so far astray. Uh, can we ever reel it back in? But let's, you know, let's, uh, you know, I, I don't want to hijack the conversation about your book, uh, uh, you know, going so far political, but, you know, just about you in particular, you know, and, and your viewpoints on, um, uh, you know, someone who's a witch. Uh, I mean, I've always felt that uh, a witch cannot be a Republican. Uh, but do you, do you think, uh, do you think they can? I mean, do you uh, see it differently? Um, you know, certainly, again, you know, the old school Republicans, the Eisenhower Republicans that I grew up with, yeah, absolutely. They were, I mean, it used to be that conservatives actually wanted to conserve stuff. You know, like, like the conservatives I grew up with were very much about conserving uh, planetary resources and protecting nature because they, they were scientific people and they knew that that's what all of our lives depended on. Um, so... You know, the the in the old the old school ones, yes, absolutely. Um, but I th- I think again, one of the things about witchcraft is it holds the masculine and the feminine as being equal and as being in partnership with each other. So it, it is hard to reconcile, say that, with an anti-abortion stance because woman is the gateway to life. So if you see woman as being essentially the goddess. The idea that anyone else could tell her what to do with her sacred body would be um, pretty far afield, you know, from from where witches think. Well, and also, too, environmentalism, you know, I just, if you're an earth-based spirituality, you know, and you revere goddess Gaia, Mother Nature, um, how could you possibly uh, endorse a party that uh, is pro-fracking and, and all the rest, you know? Um, you know, that's usually my go-to point, but, it, but I like yours as well, you know? Uh, it, it, there's a cognitive yeah. disconnect, I think, um, you know, voting Republican if, if you're a witch. But I know some people have done it. I mean, I know, they've, I know some women who could probably consider themselves a witch privately, and they voted for Trump, for heaven's sake, you know? 
Um, now, I don't actually know so anyone like that, but I imagine they exist. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, but maybe that goes back to the problem with, um, you know, with with critical thinking. Because, uh, but most witches I know, they're they're really sort of eco feminists, uh, and you know, and that's more or less where their politics lie. Uh, I, I mean, what about yourself? Yeah, for sure. I mean, of course, I'm an eco feminist, and yeah, pretty much everyone I deal with, male or female, would fall into that category I think that that's you know I mean the, one of the few things that is absolutely I think de rigueur for a witch is to believe that nature is sacred and to believe that all of life is connected you know those are kind of your your most core uh, beliefs so but you know people are you know like when I was in Japan researching my uh, I have two books set in 12th century Japan um, the white as bone red as blood the fox sorceress and White as bone, red as blood, the storm god. But when I was researching in Japan, and I would go, I went to the Inari um, temple, which was a very familiar place to me in, in uh, my past lives. And, and the temple was in the exact same place it was in the 12th century. But what I noticed was the priests and priestesses there of a nature religion, Shinto is a nature religion. And what I noticed is them giving their blessings to various kinds of businessmen, some of whom were destroying the planet by what they did. And so it was like, huh, <laughs> interesting. This is all nature religion here. That's their base camp. But they are still, um, you know, motivated by greed to the point where they are blessing the enterprises that destroy the sacred earth on which all stands. And you can kind of see that in India, too, right? They they have goddesses in India, and yet women are treated quite badly in India, even though they still supposedly worship goddesses. So there's a little more to, you know, people are complex, and there's a little more to it than simply saying, oh, if people were pagan, we'd all come back to some sort of sanity. So unfortunately, people do seem to be able to to hold these... uh, these competing energies uh, together without seeing uh, the conflict and without seeing that, you know, these things can't actually coexist. Right. Um, well, and, and it makes me think about, um, uh, I, I'm trying to think of uh, the, the name uh, of, the, of the pagan groups. Uh, I think they're, they, they tend to be Norse. Oriented, All right. uh, is it right. There's some Norse true? Yeah, that's one. Um, and, and, yeah. yeah, and I mean, they tend to be sort of like um, white nationalist or something. Uh, I mean, I might be misspeaking mm-hmm. here, but I, I know they they don't seem to um, give run parallel to say eco feminists. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it, they you know, somehow uh, managed to have this different ideology. Um, or, or So that would be another example, I believe. Right. And interestingly, you know, I think, I mean, paganism all over the world is very tribal. You know, it, it initially was quite tribal. And so your particular form of paganism would be different from just even the people down the, the road, you know. Uh, you see that with all the different clans in Scotland when I talk to 
a Hawaiian friend of mine, his parents um, were kahu, were priests and priestesses of the old tradition. You know, and he talks about, well, you know, this is how my family does it, but other families do it differently. And that they simply respect that there's these familial uh, differences. But, you know, it's, it's very true that, that, you know, the old school, you know, tribal thinking is our tribe are the people, and everyone else is a little inferior to us. That's not really a, an uncommon old way of looking at things. And Are you there? Caradwin? Caradwin? Um Oh, sorry. I think I pressed the mute. Hi. Sorry. I'm very sorry about that. Okay. Um, That's okay. What I was saying was, I think, um, that, you know, it's they're very tribal. And so they are very focused on the people of their tribe, you know, Scandinavian people, for instance. You saw that, you know, horrifyingly in Nazi Germany. There were certain Nazis who believed in going back their pagan roots obviously their pagan roots didn't include a true worship of the goddess or the feminine because they were misogynists but their vision of their pagan roots was that it was all about their tribe and that their tribe was better than any other tribe yeah yeah that uh so you know maybe tribe uh tribe trumps everything in a sense um you know uh it is is what you're saying, I think, and uh, it, it makes sense. Um, well, you know, you mentioned uh, misogyny. Um, you know, uh, I know in some of your materials, you you say that you believe misogyny is the root of all evil. Um, I don't disagree, but I'd love to hear you uh, elaborate on that a little bit. I think all of the um, all of the ways in which our our, our culture is very dichotometric. You know, it's, it's good or it's evil. It's black or it's white. It's male or it's female. It's, you know, it's, they split everything into opposites. It's a certain, it's a way that uh, part of the brain works is to split things into opposites. And that first started, I believe, um, I think that, that part of the brain started operating probably 15,000 years ago or so, but it really came to the fore once people had settled into Neolithic uh, agricultural societies, it, you know, that part of the brain of it's this or that became much more prevalent. And, you know, in our Paleolithic times, which is most of humanity, you know, women were honored as the gateway of life, as the bearers of life. Only women could give birth. Only the female of any species gave birth. And so the female was held in a spiritual awe. However, the male protected the female. It was the men who would, you know, get, uh, stand with their spears at the entrance of the caves when the dire wolves came and protect the women and children in the back of the cave. It was the men who did not get pregnant, did not have a toddler dragging on them, who would go out and hunt and bring home meat in the winter when there was nothing else to eat. Um, the men saw themselves and were seen as being equally powerful with the women because they protected life. Women brought the life, but the men protected it. Well, once things move from a hunter-gatherer system into an agricultural system, well, a pregnant woman can walk along and drop seeds into holes. 
she can uh, slaughter a pig that is a captive animal. The women still gave, gave life, but the men no longer protected it. They did not feel so needed. And so they invented war. You know, the, 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 uh, the, the scary animals were mostly extinct by then. So they invented another thing to protect women and children from, and that was the other men. And we're still in that war culture now. As that started to happen and as we started using more of the left side of our brains and less of the right side of our brains, that either-or thinking um, started to become very prevalent. You're either male or female. And since one has to be good and one has to be bad, now the male will be good and the female will be bad. White will be good and black will be bad. Um, so that that way of thinking became ingrained in us. And so the first oppression was oppression directed against women and all the other oppressions, the racial oppression, the oppression against gay people, you know, the oppression of animals. It all stems really from male dominance of women. That's why I say that is the root of evil. Well said, well said. Um, well, well, speaking of non-duality, uh, you talk about uh, being bisexual in your book. Um, you know, uh, do you feel like pagan attitudes are uh, a, a bit more liberal uh, about sexuality? Oh, very much so. I think, you know, generally pagans consider sex to be sacred. You know, that, that for us, you know, sex is that liminal doorway uh, kind of between the body and the spirit. But for most people, that is the easiest way for them to cross that boundary and experience the divine, experience something that takes them out of themselves and into a profound experience of oneness with the other person and sometimes with life itself. So for us, it's a, it's a sacred enterprise and uh, historically, in, in you know all you know pagan cultures, all tribal cultures, early ones, uh, gay people were considered to be the gatekeepers because they were considered to stand between the world of the male and the female. They also were seen as standing between the world, uh, the material world, and the spiritual world. That they they were the gatekeepers. And in traditional societies, even now in Africa, for instance, I've had uh, several people from Africa tell me that. You know, that, that those people are considered absolutely crucial. And that if you don't have enough of them in a tribe, everything falls apart. So gay people are, are honored in traditional uh, society. And, you know, bisexuality is so common within uh, certainly, I would say, pagan women that it's really simply accepted as a, a very normal variation. Yeah. Yeah, I I I agree, and um, uh, you know, and, and I was thinking about uh, I was having a conversation with someone that uh, I mean, in Greece, I don't even think there was a word for uh, you know homosexual. You know, it was uh, so common uh, for uh, for soldiers and uh, and probably women alike. Uh, you know, it just wasn't this. Um, uh, it, it you know it, it wasn't a because it wasn't disparaged, um, you know, like it, uh, you know, became in, um, you know, in, in, in Christianity. Um, 
And, uh, you know, and I don't know, I, I have, do you have any thoughts on um, why it seems to be so taboo to Christians? Well, you know, they say that the gods of one era are the demons of the next. So, you know, when Christianity was taking power, they were demonizing everything that the pagans did. The pagans put women at an elevated place. Uh, they put women way below men. The pagans celebrated uh, that the, many of the homosexuals were their priests and priestesses and, and were the most holy people. The Christian church made them the evil people. So it was a matter of simply reversing you know, what had been traditional uh, to pagans became an anathema uh, to the Christians. Okay. Well, um, you know, I, I'm wondering uh, about your family. Um, uh, you know, not only do you become a witch, but you're a bisexual witch. Um, did they blink an eye? Did they push back? You know, how, how did that uh, go down with your family members? Um, that did not go well. <laughs> Certainly, uh, there was there was definitely uh, they were a little appalled uh, at my being. Um, you know, they they loved my husband tremendously. Everyone loved my husband. He was just simply a very lovable guy. And um, but they were horrified uh, that we were non-monogamous uh, for a period of our relationship. Uh, that we were polyamorous. That uh, that I liked women. You know, none of that was was really very okay with them. Um, they were very sex positive in terms of each other, in terms of committed monogamous marriage. But, um, you know, the, the level, the, the way that my husband and I were living our lives when we were young was definitely not, um, not a happy thing for them. Uh, the witchcraft, you know, I have a chapter in my, in my book where, you know, my, my father was kind of grudgy. Apparently he, he actually saw me doing a, a ritual in which a bear walked out of the woods and made a full circle around the circle that I had drawn and then walked off in the other direction. And, you know, when he confronted me about it, he had to keep admitting, pretty good trick with the bear. <laughs> he, was, uh, you know, he was intrigued. <laughs> he was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, that work. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, it could have been worse. You could have been a born again. You could have been a Harvey Krishna. Okay, so he was kind of grudgingly uh, okay with the with the witch thing if it was kind of a nature religion thing, but uh, certainly the uh, the ways in which we we held our sexual explorations he he could not understand that at all. Well, but I mean, as far as the witch thing goes, he's the one who who put the idea in your head. Tell him you you're worshiping trees. <laughs> Say, Dad, you started yep, me yep. out that way. Yeah, yeah, I told him. Um, I told him that, and he just uh, he couldn't grouch too much because he knew it was true. <laughs> so, do you have a a favorite uh, a favorite chapter in your book? Um, I mean, I I know I I tend to uh, like some of my uh, writings a little bit better than others potentially. Uh, do you have a, a favorite chapter or two in uh, your um, uh, broth from the cauldron? Well, you know, it, it kind of varies a little bit, you know, like when I go dipping back in, you know, sometimes I read one and I'm like, oh, hey, that was really very good. <laughs> you know, I, I get kind of excited about it. Um, but, yeah, there's a, there's a number of them that I feel very fond of. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're bringing up 
things from your life. Obviously, you have many, many things to choose from, and you're probably going to choose some of your favorite um, your favorite memories. Not that they're necessarily wonderful memories, but sometimes it's about what you learned from it. You know, sometimes the hard things are also uh, the things that uh, that you learn from. I really like the last chapter in the book, um, which I'm not going to say any more about because, well, check it out for yourself. Um, the key to the garden is another uh, another one that I like very much um, because it it does talk about how you how you walk yourself out of a situation of unsupportable grief and how you can move into a place of acceptance, even of the things that are completely unacceptable. Okay. Um, well, I want to um, I, I want to talk about your other books, um, uh, but I want to ask you first before we leave your current book, Broth from the Cauldron. Uh, I couldn't help but. Um, you know, make a connection to the idea of chicken soup for the soul. Um, it did was uh, was that in the back of your mind at all? I mean, how did that title come to be? Yeah, I, I think that was uh, it was definitely making a play on that idea because it is a much better written book than those books, but it is along those same uh, sort of uh, lines and. Um, the Cauldron, of course. I mean, my name is Caradwin. That's my magical name. Caradwin is the god- Celtic goddess who holds the cauldron that is the cauldron of transformation and inspiration. And that from that cauldron, all poets and um, artists must drink to be inspired. So that concept of broth from the cauldron is one that's really endemic uh, to Celtic paganism, that it is a metaphor you know, soup is basically a metaphor for transformation. It's a very earthy metaphor because you cut up all these different things and you put them together with some water, and the end result is greater than the sum of its parts. So, I, I am hoping that uh, people will be inspired when they when they drink this broth, and that it will um, help them to see the all the sacred, holy places in their own lives and uh, what what a wonderful journey is that has brought them to where they are by reading about something of my journey well they're wonderful stories I I have no doubt that they will Um, well all right we're going to take a break right now uh, and when we come back uh, I actually want to talk about your um, your witchcraft novels uh, white as bone uh, red as blood and um, heart of fire you'll you'll tell us about that Uh, but uh, we're going to take a break right now uh, and hear from Joe Carson and then we'll be right back Hello, let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is what Drusilla Pettibone said on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I don't think I can comment on it adequately until I've had a chance to watch it a couple more times. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, 
The info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was obviously very beautiful and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast and with so many layers. I am also so pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com. Um, that was a word from Joe Corson about her film, uh, Dancing with Gaia. And just a little tidbit of housekeeping here. Um, my next show is going to be uh, June 3rd. June 3rd, and uh, that's uh, next Wednesday. Uh, I have uh, uh, Ellen Ever-Topman with me, and uh, we are going to be talking about her book, The Sacred Herbs of Spring. And uh, then on uh, June 7th, uh, Trista Hendren uh, is back with me, and um, we're going to be talking about Medusa, From Monster to Divine. Uh, So I don't think you want to miss either one of those. I think they're going to be fun conversations. Uh, But... uh, if for some reason you're tuning in late, uh, I am chatting with uh, a Caridwin Falling Star about uh, her new book, uh, Broth from the Cauldron. Uh, that's what we've been chatting about for the last 45 minutes or so. But uh, I want to hear more about her other three books, uh, her, her witchcraft novels. So, uh, Caridwin, tell us about those. Is it a trilogy or are they separate? Um, <coughs> fill us in. Yeah. Um- just just one one little uh, thing before we start that I just want to say um that I I also love that movie Dancing with Gaia that was just um just promoted here and I'm actually one of the people interviewed in that film and it's really an excellent film by Joe Carson so I recommend that to everybody um then yeah I I will go on to um you know, they, my I have one book that's about witchcraft, and it's the my first book, which is kind of a pagan classic. It's called The Heart of the Fire, and it's set in 16th century Scotland. And all, all of these novels are based on my own past lives, so that was one that had been with me um, since I was a very small child, and I, uh, I eventually wrote about it. Of course, I did all the regular research as well uh, to make sure it was accurate. But, yeah, that book has sold well over 20,000 copies, and it's been really a fixture in the pagan community for uh, a very long time. The other two books um, the, are, are in a series, and it's the White as Bone, Red as Blood, The Fox Sorceress, and White as Bone, Red as Blood, The Storm God. These are set in 12th century Japan, so they're still about magic and about the magical traditions of Japan. But I don't think you could exactly call it witchcraft since it's a different um, a different culture, but it does um, 
have a lot of what the various magical practices were um, at that time. Well, and today you, you would call you mentioned uh, when you went, um Well, you mentioned going to Japan, uh, and I, I actually did too, and I visited some of those uh, Inari uh, temples. Um, I'm wondering mm-hmm. in the in the Japan books, um, did you bring Amaterasu into it, or um, mm-hmm. did you take another another direction? Yeah, she is she is certainly you know talked about and mentioned because she's seen as kind of the the sun goddess is seen as the primary deity, and it's believed that the emperor and his family are descended from the sun goddess in an unbroken line. So that was certainly believed at that time too that um, that Amaterasu was you know the crucial uh, goddess who protected the royal family. Um, you know, in that lifetime, I had been brought up in, at an Inari shrine, and so that was more my my personal um, deity was Inari. But you know, we we believed in all. You know, if you if you lived there in that time, you believed in all of them uh, pretty much unquestioningly. That was simply, you know, the world in which in which we lived, and that was the beliefs that we held. Well, uh, I'm wondering about that. I know at the Inari shrines, you would normally see those big fox, uh, you know, outside uh, the temple. Um, how did the fox uh, fit into that mythology? And I also want to ask you about uh, Amaterasu's mirror. Um, you know, what was the deal with that? You know, Amaterasu is not really one that we, uh, I think, delve in too much, um, you know, when we get into the gods and goddesses. And uh, I'd love to hear your take on both, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, Inari is known as the shapeshifter. She's the goddess of sorcery. She's also the goddess of undying love. Um, but she's she's a shapeshifter, so she can appear as anything. But her one of her most common appearances is as a fox, and you can see why people really cross culturally people see foxes as shapeshifters because they're so silent. It's like they just sort of appear out of the mist and then they disappear. Um, so many many peoples, tribal peoples, believe that the fox had the power of invisibility. So. That you do see foxes at all the Inari shrines. You're always going to see images of foxes, and the Inari sushi that you would get at a sushi shop supposedly looks like the head of a fox. It's kind of tucked so that it looks like uh, there's two little ears poking out on the top. And they do serve that, as you probably noticed if you went to the Inari shrine. They serve you can you can the two things you can eat there are those Inari sushi and the barbecued sparrows. Again, the fox was also sacred to Inari because Inari is the goddess of grain and fertility. So the fox eats the sparrows and the mice that damage the, the grain, that damage the rice. So the fox is seen as the protector of the harvest, you know, for that for that reason. Okay. And and Amaterasu's mirror. Um, what do you what do you feel is that is the you know the story behind there? You know they say that uh, you know that's one of the sacred objects that only the high priest and the emperor get to see. Um, you know I, I just wondered what what are your thoughts on that and what is the the meaning behind or the use of the mirror? Is it um, you know is it more than just a mirror? 
Yeah, the um, you know the the mirror is part of the imperial regalia, and there's you know there's a, a part in my in my book you know white as bone, red as blood, the storm god, in which you know the the there are two the two clans are battling to gain control, literally physically battling to gain control of the regalia, and uh, and a magical moment occurs with the mirror. But the um, the mirror, if you think about you know how you could create a flash of light, a, a very intense light. You know, if you hold a mirror to the sun, you know, you can have a blinding flash of light. Um, and it was said that any mortal who looked into the mirror would be blinded. Well, if it's being held up to the sun, that could very well be. So, but the, the sacredness of the mirror goes back to when Amaterasu, the sun goddess, um, had a brother who was the storm god. And the storm god, you know, was creating a lot of havoc in her palace and insulting her maids and her maidservants. And so Amaterasu stormed off in a huff and uh, went into a cave and hid in the cave. And, of course, as soon as she did that, life began to die because you need the sun for life to survive. So all the other gods and goddesses were pounding on the door to the cave and begging her to come out, but she wouldn't come out. And then uh, one Uzumi, who's a very plump, uh, funny little goddess of humor, stood up on a rock and started doing a striptease. And everyone started laughing. And Amaterasu became very curious. Why is everyone laughing and cheering out there? This does not make any sense. They should not be celebrating because I'm locked in here. So she opened uh, the door and immediately Azumi held up a mirror so that Amaterasu saw her own brilliance and her own beauty. And when she saw that, she emerged uh, from the cave in which she had been hiding. So the mirror and her seeing her face in the mirror is what brought her back to her responsibility to care for all of life. And I think that's, uh, you see that in uh, sort of the African I think you hit that button again. Caradwin? Caradwin, did you hit the mute button? I'm so sorry. <sighs> I've got to figure out a way not to do that. I'm so sorry. Anyway, the mirror, you know, it's sacred to Oshun. It's and I, it's not about vanity. It's about know thyself. You know, the to look in the mirror is to know who you truly are, and so that's why uh, the mirror is sacred. Lovely, lovely. Thank you for that. Uh, and uh, I can't help but sometimes compare Azumi and Amaterasu with, with uh, Balbo and Demeter as well, you know. Absolutely. Uh, it's like know, the exact little, same myth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's funny how those things happen. <laughs> um, well, yeah, well, Karen, you, you when, um, I'm going to. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead, finish, finish finish your thought. You were saying something about consciousness. Oh no, I was just going to say human conscious. You know, like like Jung says, I think there's the collective unconscious, and so we get the same stories all over the world. Yeah. Right, right. Well, I want to give you the last word. Um, uh, you know, is there anything I haven't thought to ask you about uh, your new book, Broth from the Cauldron, that uh, maybe um, you feel you want to share? Um, you know, I, I think the the thing about the Broth from the Cauldron, I, I subtitled it A Wisdom Journey Through Everyday Magic. And I'm really, again, I'm hoping that as people read that and read about my magical life, that they'll start to realize how truly magical and amazing their own lives are and to really honor uh, the journey that has brought all of us to where we are and that will continue to take us into 
mysterious and mystical and beautiful places down the line. Uh, well said, well said. What a great note to uh, end our our talk on. Um, thank you so much uh, for all uh, the wisdom and insight uh, you've shared uh, with listeners today, Kara Dwin, and, uh, and thank you for your lovely book. Uh, it, it's really wonderful and unique and uh, full of good stuff. I would, uh, you know, wholeheartedly tell listeners uh, to go look for it. Uh, I would imagine it's available in all the usual places. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. You can order it from your own favorite bookstore, many of which are fulfilling orders, and uh, you can pick up outside. Uh, you can certainly order it from Amazon, order it from BookHub or Bookshop, uh, there's, uh, or you know, from any any number of other, you know, Barnes and Noble. You know, pretty much it's being carried everywhere. So, choose your favorite. Okay. All right, and uh, the two websites you have are your name, uh, one, uh, caradwynfallingstar.com, uh, or uh, your other, um, your witchcraft novel, uh, The Heart right, the Heart the of the Fire. fire. The Heart, uh, heart yeah. of the Fire. The Heart, heart of the Fire.com, fire. or, or caradwynfallingstar, it's actually .co on that one, it's not .com, so just .co after caradwynfallingstar, yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me there. Um, all right. Well, um, thank you so much, Caradwin, uh, and uh, good luck with the book. And uh, please keep in touch. If uh, anything else comes up that you'd like to share with listeners, uh, please, um, you know, pop me an email. I would love to do that, Karen. I've had a great time with you today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, listeners, well, that about does it for me for today. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed uh, the conversation with Caradwin as much as I have. And um, I hope you will be back with me next Wednesday, uh, as I said. And uh, until then, uh, may Isis embrace you in her golden wings. And also, please remember, it's so important, uh, what you nurture, what you tend to, that's what thrives and what you neglect withers. So be very careful what you're tending to and uh, what you're letting wither. Um, uh, you know, you, uh, uh, you might be putting too much energy into the wrong things and uh, not enough energy into the things you want to grow. So just some food for thought. All right. Um, have a great weekend, everybody, and uh, I will see you Wednesday. Bye-bye. <laughs>